The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Partnerships, changing the game for digital transformation. Presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. We say it, you know we mean it. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Oh, this is an interesting quote. I found this from a young lady named Violet Haberdasher. She's the author of Nightly Academy and the Secret Prince, and her name is the pseudonym of a video blogger named Robin Schneider, who lives in London and New York City and loves grubby cafes, used bookshops, hidden libraries, gothic rooftops, and picnic blankets in Parks will just leave that alone. And here's the quote. If you like nerds, raise your hand. If you don't, raise your standards. Okay. So nerds, geeks, that's going to be part of our theme today. Every organization has brilliant and ambitious workers, and the world of IT is no exception. So that's the reference to nerds and geeks. IT, don't be offended. I was an IT geek for many years. Programmer, analyst, key punching, coding, what can I tell you? And I love to be a nerd. So what is the modern IT leader's goal, given that they've got all these ambitious and brilliant people? Well, you're going to work backwards. You're going to start with setting the vision and the roadmap for success with your customers. They may be internal. They may be external. But start with them. Customer experience, customer first. Then work backwards. What are you going to do? You need to create a robust and vibrant IT organization, a team, a support model to make it all come together. So let's get down to the basics. The secret to revolutionizing relationships within your IT team Get back to the basics. Have meaningful conversations and know that words matter, words count, and words are contextual. So we're talking at multiple levels about having really good conversations. Let me tell you who our special panelists are today, two very savvy gentlemen. First up, in just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Kevin Diaz, Chief Customer Officer, a.k.a. Chief Trust Evangelist. There's a new title for all you out there at Freudenberg IT, also known as F. FIT Fit. And joining him on the panel is Roger Quinlan, Senior Vice President of the SAP Global Partner Managed Cloud and Cloud BPO. Thrilled to have both of you here. So Kevin Diaz has sent me a quote from Joe Namath. If you're saying, who, Joe, who? Think Broadway Joe. Think a gentleman, Joseph William Namath, born in 1943. He's an American football quarterback and actor and somewhat of a hero. He played college football for the University of Alabama under coach Paul Bear Bryant and professional football in the AFL and the NFL in the 60s and 70s. Why is he so important? Well, 
Head coach Bryant of Alabama in 1975 in his autobiography called Joe Namath, the most natural athlete he has ever coached. I'll leave that there. Here's the quote Kevin says selected from Joe Namath. Quote, if you're not going all the way, why bother to go at all? Kevin Diaz, it's been about, what, two months since we met at Sapphire. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you, and thank you for having me again. Oh, we're delighted. It was such fun talking to you and learning what you meant by Chief Trust Evangelist and Chief Customer Officer, and I'm delighted to have you back. So, Kevin, talk to me. Are you a big football fan, and do you remember Broadway Joe? He was so good-looking and dynamic. He's still around, but not so much present anymore. Are you a big fan? Uh, I am. I grew up in uh, New York, in the New York area, so I uh, grew up watching the Jets and still... Still in pain watching them today, but uh, but he was uh, definitely famous in the area and, and kind of a cultural icon, not just a football player, but but definitely into the uh, the mainstream uh, culture too as well. Do, uh, do you remember? America. Do you remember 1969 when he guaranteed the Jets would be victorious over the NFL Baltimore Colts and Super Colts and Super Bowl three? Do you remember that? Um, only from video and tapes and memories, yes. Not, not, I, uh, I know you're too then. young. Well, he made good on his prediction. It was a 16-7 to 7 upset, and the win remains the Jets' only Super Bowl championship. Good for Namath. So talk to me about the quote, Kevin. If you're not going all the way, why bother to go at all? What does it mean in relation to our topic? We're talking about conversation, context, IT teams, setting up an infrastructure, and making it all happen for your customers. So give us some reference points here, please, Kevin. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, that, I, I always love that that kind of saying or that statement from, from Broadway Joe, and I, I apply it to my team too as well because, um, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in the moment, right, of, of, of what you're trying to accomplish, right, and, and they're more personal goals sometimes, and, and I try to have them kind of think beyond just what they want, right, out of a relationship, out of what they're wanting to achieve for the customers and, and really put them and take that extra step, the extra thought process, the extra, you know, uh, layers of the onion to peel back on those, right, and, and kind of really putting themselves on the other side uh, of, of the table. And, and to me, that's really kind of going all the way, right, not just, okay, I got a requirement or here's a task and I'm trying to execute and solely focusing on that task, but really kind of thinking bigger picture, thinking about, you know, who the audience is or who's the recipient of the work is going to, to you know, how they're going to receive that. Um, and so it takes a, a certain additional level and layer of effort, right? So that's why we say go all the way, just don't go halfway, um, but really try to think, be thoughtful, be mindful um, of the situation, of the person, of the, of the objective as well, uh, which I think is important. And, and kind of, um, you know, trying to, to learn to inquire about the thought processes, right, behind the other person's opinions and, and, recommendation, and recommendations uh, derived from them. And I think that's critical. Thank you, Kevin. Do you agree with this quote I opened with from Ms. Violet Haberdasher, a.k.a. Robin Schneider of London and New York? If you like nerds, raise your hand. If you don't raise your standards, do you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, Me too. And, and, it, and, it, and it's interesting <laughs> because um, growing up, I was an athlete. Um, wasn't necessarily into the books, but my brother was, and he was a huge nerd, um, and I love him for it. <laughs> and uh, and so he he's actually doing quite well now, um, even though um, when he was younger, 
okay, maybe he got picked on a little bit and so forth, but but obviously, uh, as you get older, the tables get reversed, right? So the the um, I liken it to um, uh, those who picked on him are washing his car now, right? <laughs> um, but but you need to rate. <laughs> But you need to raise your standards, right? And that's important because there are a lot of smart, intellectually gifted individuals, specifically in the areas of IT, um, you know, and they all have something special to bring to an organization and to a team. Um, and it's important to really understand their thought processes and how they, how they think um, and, and kind of allow them to contribute uh, to the team as well. So they, they, they bring something different. Uh, to the organization and, and something unique, uh, without question. And and in you know reality, um, you know the majority of the way this economy is going, um, it's not necessarily going to be solely based on manufacturing. It's going to be a lot with uh, technology that's going to drive the economy going forward. Um, and, and that's and that's very critical. Thank you, Kevin. Very good intro to our show. And now let's welcome a gentleman who's waiting so patiently in the sidelines to be introduced as Roger Quinlan, Senior VP of the SAP Global Partner Managed Cloud and Cloud BPO. And he is quoting today President Ronald Reagan. I won't go into too much, but Reagan was Ronald Wilson Reagan, lived from 1911 to 2004, American politician actor, and he served as the 40th president of the U.S. from 1981 to 1989. Before that, he was a 33rd governor of California and had a very vivid career as a Hollywood actor and a union leader, best known for his economic initiatives, supply-side economics, dubbed Reaganomics. I won't go into that. Interesting piece of trivia. He was the first president since Ike, Dwight D. Eisenhower, to serve two full terms after five previous one-term presidents. Trivia number two, Reagan died at age 93. It was the second longest life of all the U.S. presidents. The current longest lifespan of a president is held by Gerald Ford, who died two years after Reagan. There you go. And he ranks very, very high in historian rankings of U.S. presidents. Here is the quote. There is no limit to the amount of good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. Roger Quinlan, love the quote. How have you been, Roger? I'm well, Bonnie. Thank you for having me this morning. Delighted. Talk to me. You a big fan, a follower of historians? Or do you follow Ronald Reagan? Do you remember him in the movies, maybe? Or did you ever see them? I, I don't really remember him much from California, uh, at least from the political side. And, of course, you know, not a, as is with most political folks, you don't always agree with all of their politics. Uh, but he did come from California and had a bit of a colorful, uh, colorful history here, uh, as you've already identified I, like I said, I don't always agree with his politics, but I love the simplicity of his approach. And there's lots of great Reagan quotes out there. Some of them are, uh, um, some of them are, are quite fascinating, especially given the political times that, that he governed um, during. But I, but I like the fact that um, if, you, if you think about, if you focus on the good at the end and you don't care about who's getting the credit, there's all kinds of partnerships you can, you can draw. He, of course, was, was referring to the political environment that he was in, but um, you know, that, that's just as applicable today in what we do with our clients and making sure that we focus on, on their success and whether we get the credit or the client gets the credit or the, uh, the systems integrators, the partners, whoever's helping out gets the credit. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, um, if we focus on, on doing the right thing for the right reason, as Kevin uh, talked about before, you end up with a much better solution. So I, I thought that was very appropriate given the topic we're talking about today. Uh, and then I think it ties in pretty well to, uh, to Violet's quote as well, because um, 
certainly I think uh, the nerds are the folks that are helping get this whole process going with our, our end customers and changing IT landscapes and digitizing their futures. Um, and I think it's not just the, you know, you've heard the geeks will inherit the earth. I think the nerds will as well. Um, and certainly those are the ones that are driving this new digital environment. I think you're right on every single count, and I'm glad. I have to tell our listeners that I had a different opening quote, which I called the buzz on every single show of our Game Changer, many Game Changer series, or 14 series currently in production. So everybody's used to the buzz, and I had a different quote, and about five minutes before airtime, I said, nah, that's not going to cut it. I need something a little more provocative that will stand out and really touch on our topic, nerds, geeks, IT, whatever, and I found this uh, Violet Haberdasher, whoever she is, quote, almost two minutes before we went on the air, and I had a chance to run it by Kevin and Roger, and they both liked it. So thank you for accepting that. I really appreciate it. Now I have a question for both of you. Let's get a little up close and personal. I think we know a little more about Kevin than we know about Roger, but Kevin, where are you calling from today? We don't want the coordinates of the roof of your house or office, not quite that close and personal, but we'd love to know also, what are you drinking? And if it's something, yeah, or boring, what would you rather be drinking that really makes Mr. Kevin Diaz smile? Kevin, talk to me. So I am calling from Philly, Yo Philly. Um, well, for those that don't know it, Philadelphia, uh, to be a little more concise. But uh, <laughs> in my cup and what I'm drinking, it is a kale blueberry slash raspberry smoothie. Um, and I've been drinking that uh, pretty much since the day my daughter looked at my stomach and said, Daddy, you got a big belly. She's five, so she doesn't <laughs> have much decorum, right? And I thought to myself, okay, now's the time. I need to get serious here. And so I've uh, uh, happily uh, lost 35 pounds and got about 10 more to go so I can maybe fit into the uh, tuxedo I wore at my wedding. So um, oh, that's, that's what my. I'm drinking. I want to know, do you make this at home from fresh ingredients or do you buy it already mixed? I have to know where you got it or what, quick, what's the recipe, Kevin? Oh, it's, you know, I have a CSA right by my house, so uh, all fresh ingredients, um, nothing frozen. Um, want to make it as, as clean and healthy as possible. So, um, you know, it's, it's for, for breakfast and lunch and it's been working well, so. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And you add a little bit of almond milk in there, too. So just a handful of of kale, a handful of uh, uh, blueberries, a handful of raspberries, and a dash of uh, almond milk, and we're good to go. Ooh, I got to add that. I'm going to put in a half a banana. I like that. And just a tiny drop of agave syrup. I like it a little sweeter. Thank you for the recipe. I'll let you know how my quest goes. Maybe, maybe, we're, we're not both going to fit into a tuxedo, but maybe I can fit into a, a beautiful evening gown that's sitting very lonely in the closet. Thank you, Kevin. Roger Quinlan, where are you calling from? And what are you drinking or what would you rather be drinking that really lights up your smile, Mr. Quinlan? Well, so I am. Uh, I reside in Silicon Valley, and I'm actually calling in from uh, from my Palo Alto office. So SAP's campus is uh, based in Stanford Research Park, um, which is in the heart of Silicon Valley. So it's a beautiful day today. We were in a bit of a, a hot streak, so um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be in the 90s today. Which, for those of you that know uh, know the Bay Area, that's quite hot. Um, and what's in my uh, What's in my cup this morning is hot water with a little bit of honey. Um, my wife and I uh, have a honey farm, a very small honey farm that we operate, so um, I put honey in hot water a lot. 
Wow, very interesting. You have to tell me, a honey farm. We're talking about hives of bees in a protected environment and cross-pollinating the strains to get special kind of honey. What's this all about, Roger? Yeah, so it uh, started out as one, one beehive uh, that my wife um, actually got someone to come put in our yard and then manage, and we didn't have to do anything except just let it exist there. And then after he uh, got sick and could no longer take care of the hive, uh, we took it over, and that went from one. And I think we're putting, we put number 15 out in the field uh, just recently. So, um, yeah, it's producing, you know, about 100 pounds of honey a month. Um, it gets sold through a retail store, and my wife kind of takes care of a lot of the details, and that's the name of it, Mama Q's Honey. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a fun thing to do. And if you think about, you know, the topic of what we, we are uh, addressing today on, you know, how do you, how do you change environments? You know, certainly the, uh, the honeybee has evolved over, over millennial to, to uh, millennium to, um, you know, to be able to survive all kinds of different environmental factors. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of that is applicable in how they operate to uh, the business world today. Thank you very much, and I'm looking up at, to see, I think I found, uh, what is this, on Facebook, Mama Q's Family Honey Farm. That's the one, right? Yep. That's the one. Very, very nice. Very, very nice. Well, I'm going to give you both a chance to take the pause that refreshes. We're speaking with Kevin Diaz at Freudenberg ITFIT and uh, Roger Quinlan at SAP. I'm Bonnie DeGram. By the way, they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, gentlemen. So all I'm drinking is a cool mug, a cool, clear mug with cool, clear water from my lovely Brita filter with a pink straw because we got through a hideous storm here last night in New York. It came all the way from, I know that Newtown square at sap had it first and they were gracious enough to send it over here to us on long island and we had brutal winds and rain at a at an angle 45 degrees hitting and thunder and lightning and booms and ambulances and fire trucks all over the place for about an hour but we kept the power on which was great so my pink straw is in celebration of the beautiful blue sky with a couple of fluffy white clouds and the gorgeous summer day and it must be close to 90 here today roger so it's it's getting up there and that's nothing unusual for us here in new york so Let me just tell our audience, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, a lot more details from Kevin and Roger on navigating complex IT teams. Why do you want to bother? Because it'll help you smooth the way for customer success, whoever your customers are. So we'll talk in just a minute, 90 seconds. Don't go away. Kevin G. Out. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and demand for innovation to help the world run better and improve people's lives. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how moving to the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. 
Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation. Indeed. And before we resume our important topic, I have a couple shout-outs. Shout-out to Katie Thacker at SAP, who is promoting the conversation here. She's quoting you, Kevin Diaz. Great perspective. Take that extra step to go all the way and raise your standards. She's pulling in a lot of quotes from bits and pieces here. Thank you, Katie. Liz Hall also and Alicia Rudolph and my colleagues at the Digital Magazine, Handle Digitalist MAG, are also promoting the show. So we've got a lot of people here. And if you want to join the party, go on Twitter and Go to hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O, and you can follow the fun. We will also look for any questions or comments. If you send them on time, I'll be happy to read them and see what our panelists say. So we're here today with Kevin Diaz at Freudenberg IT. That's FIT and Roger Quinlan at SAP. We're going to start the roundtable with some notes here from Mr. Kevin Diaz. Let's see what he told me before the show. Okay, here's where we're going to start. Management versus leadership. Kevin says there is a distinct difference between management and leadership at the tactical level. So if you hired the best people, you lead them by giving the vision and then empowering them to navigate to the ultimate objectives on their own. Kevin Diaz, tell us how this works and if it works. Okay. Well, Bonnie, I think, you know, it's important to understand that organizations are are kind of incomplete social systems and they're not necessarily self-sufficient, right? And so you need goal setting by organizations and owners and leadership in there. But uh, one thing that I've learned over the years is that, you know, um, you need distributed leadership, Right, and so distributed leadership basically means that um, that classic hierarchy, right, the pyramid structure, um, is not necessarily maybe the right approach, and in, in specifically in in the modern complex organization. And my old, well, my current boss, Michael, the CEO of the company, I thought he was kind of crazy when he started talking all this stuff. I said that's impossible. You have to have some structure and organization and 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 direct uh, leadership for accountability. Um, um, but but as we progressed in further conversations and thoughts and really understanding, like, you need to, to distribute some of the leadership within your organization, right, even within specific teams. Um, you know, how do they get, you know, constructed as leaders, right, and, and should they just be followers? And you want to be able to designate them as having some sort of, you know, formal leadership roles within the organization. And I think you'll be able to get uh, more buy-in, uh, from your organization and from team members, and they're contributing uh, for the greater good. I think when you have, specifically in the areas of IT, um, you have very competent, um, very skilled individuals, um, <clears throat> and they know that. And so how do you maintain their ability to, to stay within the organization and grow? Um, part of that is really um, you know, into distributed leadership, uh, giving people leadership roles within an organization, even though they may not necessarily have the title, uh, but, but you're allowing them to contribute, um, you know, and, and taking on more um, 
but I'll say important roles and activities and, and leading some of the others, right? You're letting uh, the teams work together and everybody having a stake in, in contributing to the success, right? And, and, and carrying out maybe different projects too as well. Interesting. Kevin, I Googled this. Roger, I'm going to bring you in a second, but I Googled the term distributed leadership because I had not heard about it before. According to Wikipedia, and tell me if this is on target with your your understanding of this, Kevin, distributed leadership is a conceptual and analytical approach to understanding how the work of leadership takes place among the people and in the context of a complex organization. What do you think? Right on target? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's not just like, cause in the past it was, you know, leaders, you know, studying the leaders, right? And, and what are their traits and characteristics, right? And oh, let's write a book on it that you see in the airport, you know, shopping mall about who moved my cheese and how do I be a leader? Um, you know, and some often think that, oh, here's the seven traits of highly successful people. And that's not necessarily always the case. I think, I think there's a case to be made to, to have learned behavior and learned leadership too as well um, by, by bringing people in and, and allowing them a voice, um, mentor, mentoring them, um, but also too, uh, leadership is not a dictatorship, and there's the difference. Um, it is not just mandating down policies and saying, go do this. Um, <clears throat> very difficult to do with very, very thoughtful and, and smart intellectual individuals. Um, it's really more coming to consensus sometimes um, and, and putting yourself, um, as I mentioned earlier, about you know, learning to inquire about the thought process behind another person's opinion and so forth and, and, and what they're recommending. Um, it's, it's putting yourself in that perspective, right, and, and allowing yourself to say, okay, why do they recommend that or why did they say that? Um, kind of contextualized learning, if you will. Um, I think that goes a long way in, in leadership. Thank you, Kevin. We used to call that walk a mile in the other person's shoes. Roger Quinlan, yes. love to get your thoughts on this. Roger. I agree. It's interesting that the point that Kevin made was teams, uh, you know, getting the entire team to function as a team, but it's not about a dictatorship. Uh, I was, the term I was thinking about was monarch, and, um, but it's the same concept. I do believe that teams function better when they have a shared vision of where they're going and what they want to do, but it doesn't necessarily need to come from one person who has the title and is at the top. Uh, and for myself, I find that my goal is to set the vision and the roadmap for success with the customers and the segments that we operate in, and that's true with what I'm doing at work. It's also true with what I do at charity, uh, et cetera. And then, and then let the organization figure out how to do the work best on its own. You don't need to dictate all of the details of it. And in fact, especially with, with the younger workers, uh, uh, the millennials, in fact, are very good at this. They think about things completely differently than I do. And so they will attack a program and a problem uh, very differently than I would. Uh, and so, so I find that to be refreshing. Tell them where we need to go, but don't tell them how to get there. And I find that sometimes we get there a lot more efficiently than I would have thought of on my own. It's very similar to how I think the very successful big IT transformation projects work, where you know the, the entire organization has a shared goal, everyone has little pieces of it, uh, and they're all marching towards the one, one end, 
and direction and end uh, transformation. Um, but how they get there, you know, may, they'll they'll take uh, you know they'll wander, right? They'll they'll go back and forth a little bit. It's never just quite the straight line that's dictated by the by the strategy of the uh, the dictator or the monarch at the beginning. Um, and I've seen a lot of projects in the, in the course of my 20 years at SAP, and the ones that do very well set a clear mission and a clear vision and let the folks that are closest to the work actually make the decisions um, and, and dictate the actual work product on a daily basis. Roger, let me ask you a question in terms of people coming into these roles, let's say as the titled head of an IT organization, okay, not the dictator, not the monarch, the person who is the savvy leader who will help create this distributed leadership. I'm really appreciating the concept that Kevin Diaz introduced to us a few minutes ago. Is this something you put in a job description if you're creating or building an IT organization in a new company or in a, a merger, an acquisition? Do you put in the job description you will help to have meaningful, contextual, respectful conversations with your colleagues, and you will help create pockets of leadership that are distributing the workload, the, the, the shared goal load, if you will, across the organization. Is this a skill you can put into a resume, into a job uh, description, Roger, or is it something that you have to nurture? What do you think? I think you have to nurture it. I think you can put it in yeah. a job description, but really I think it's the kind of thing that you want to uh, determine uh, during the discernment process when you're trying to figure out who you're going to hire to begin with. Uh, I think that's part of the interview process. I, I fundamentally believe that um, that the, the old days, you know, when my, when my father was working, uh, you know, they had a hierarchy, and, uh, and that's the way it worked, and you did what your boss told you to do, and that's kind of the end of it. Um, I, that just doesn't... It, it's not, um, I don't think it empowers the employees to get things done in the best possible way. And I think there's all kinds of, all kinds of leaders out there that, that created an active environment to challenge the status quo um, because I think the status quo can be your worst enemy. And so, so being creative about how to solve problems and letting the, the people that are close to the decisions and close to the daily work figure it out tends to be uh, the most effective way, in my opinion. Very interesting. Kevin Diaz, you started this topic. Love to get your wrap-up thoughts. Do you agree or disagree with what Roger and I propose, which is that you have to nurture them? You can't just put it in writing and say, okay, you're hired because you said the right thing on your resume. What do you think, Kevin? No, I, I totally agree on that, uh, what Roger said. I mean, it, it is it, it is a nurtured environment. I think it's really not necessarily what you put in a job description about the role and the position, but how you describe the organization and your expectations of the employees, right, to really be able to, you know, work with each other, right, because cause it is a complex environment, right, and you need to, to really... Um, what I'll say, uh, put away what I call uh, the, well, not I call, but you know, psychologists have called the ontological arrogance, right, of, of leaders, meaning my way is the only way because I'm, I'm viewing it from, from my perspective. Um, and so um, getting the right individuals uh, in the organizations that are true team players uh, that understand the, the greater good of the organization and not putting their own ambitions first um, yeah, that's going to happen during the interview process and, and understanding the type of person and individual uh, that you're going to hire. 
Thank you very much. Let's move on to something that goes back to our theme. We talked about, well, the title of this episode is Navigating Complex IT Teams, Smoothing the Way for Customer Success. So without talking about customers, we're going to talk about the concept of customer success. Roger Quillen, I'm looking at your notes, and here's an interesting topic I want to talk about. I'm going to read a little bit and then ask you to explain, expand it for us. So Roger says, do the right thing for the customer. Doing the right thing for the customer always takes precedence. Leadership isn't about what you say. It's about your actions. Leadership must begin with a vision, but it's delivering the vision that will ultimately determine your success as a leader. So, Roger, why don't you put this in context, speaking of that wonderful word we also talked about at the start of the show, context of who is the customer? Because in my intro, Roger, I said internal and or external. So what's your reference point in talking about the customer must take precedence, preference? Yeah, when I, when I was thinking about this topic, I was really thinking about the end customer. And for uh, from a business perspective, in in my world, uh, the end customer is the you know the client company that's utilizing our our products or services to mm-hmm. to run their companies better. But oftentimes, uh, th- their customer inside of an IT organization could be the finance department, it could be the sales department, it could be manufacturing. And I think my original thought on, on how I um, articulated doing the right thing for the customer is just as applicable in a complex IT environment because oftentimes the IT leaders now are managing virtual teams. And t- to that I mean the people that are working on their projects and if they're doing a big transformation, which is a digital transformations are very hot these days, uh, trying to make sure that their operations run more efficiently and more seamlessly with less personal interaction and more automation, uh, you're going to have, they will have constituents that are part of their quote-unquote customers that have come from sales, they come from finance, they come from manufacturing. They also come from their end customers, right? So they have to worry about what is the experience going to be like for their end customers buying from them. And so I think the concept of customer could be could be quite wide in this interpretation. You know, our CEO talks a lot about having empathy for your customer, and I think mm-hmm. it goes a step further than just your customer. I think you need to have empathy for your customer's customer. And so from my from from our perspective, that means I have to have empathy for what is it that our partners are going through, what is it that our customers going through, and what is it that their joint customers will experience when we have done all of our work, hopefully done it right. I think if you keep your eye on that prize, you're going to come out with a much better solution that really thinks about, uh, really thinks about where the value is created. Okay, thank you, Roger. Very interesting. Kevin Diaz, love to get your thoughts on what Roger shared with us. Yeah, no, I like what, what Roger said specifically at the end, too. It's your your customer's customer, right? The ultimate end customer in the whole, you know, value chain, if you will, or, or, or supply chain, um, you know, because that's critical. Um, when you look at the type of work we all do and, and the services we provide, um, you know, we're affecting commerce um, and, and, you know, product availability, services availability uh, throughout the entire world. Um, and it has an impact on, on GDP if you really want to get uh, deep about it, right? Um, if software doesn't work, if infrastructure doesn't work, if products can't get shipped, um, you know, uh, your customers may not receive products. Uh, you get into the medical industry, too, as well. Uh, drugs may not be shipped and supplied, right? So it can be a matter of life and death from that perspective, right, depending on, you know, 
what industries you want to look at it. Um, and I think it's important for organizations um, such as ours uh, to really to really look at that end customer because the work we do sometimes in the technical world is very easy because mm-hmm. all you're seeing is just X, you know zeros and, and ones and and programs, but. But it goes deeper to that, and there's a more significant behind just the programming. It's it's people's lives that get affected at the end um, from from end customers, right? Um, also, too, um, it's it's really you know uh, trust, right? And 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 you know, people are entrusting organizations uh, to help them achieve their digital transformation and success, and and those that that trust you are, are putting their, their career on the line. Um, and you have to think of it that way, uh, right? Because that individual may have a mortgage and bills to pay and children to go to college. And sure. you know what? They're signing up a contract with you and saying, yes, I trust you to be successful. And you're going to have my best interests, not just me personally, but my companies. And as a result, that'll be my best interest. And if you fail, um, yeah, they, could be, they, they may lose their job. And, and that's something approach I take. I take with my team and, and drill that into their head to say, yeah, you know, uh, people's livelihoods could be in jeopardy if we don't do our job. And, and that's Thank important. You, Kevin. you have to take it to and, that human element. Sorry. And I want to take it one. No, no. I, I, you're giving me the perfect segue to something else from your notes before the show. So I just want to pause and insert a thought here and have you continue. You talk about open communication and interdepartmental collaboration. And you say something very timely. There's actually an ad on a major uh, TV news station here in, in New York. I don't know if you, you see it about when that call comes at 2 a.m., we don't ask, they don't ask, are you ready or do you want to? We get up and go to the scene of the emergency. It's about emergency workers, you know, uh, first responders. Yep. Well, you're saying we're part of an industry. Talking about IT, that's our reference point where escalation calls can come at 2 a.m. I have to know the person I reach out to for support is just as committed as I am to follow through and make things right as quickly as possible. And, Kevin, this brings me back to the old days when I was a programmer analyst and we were key punching, I'm sure, way before you and Roger were even a gleam in somebody's eye. Hello, I'm willing to say that. And I remember I I was a very, very good COBOL programmer and a PL1 programmer. But I remember one night, and it didn't happen often, maybe once in years, that phone rang at three o'clock in the morning. This was back in Eugene, Oregon. I was working for a service bureau, and the uh, the the uh, operator in the computer room. Hello, Bonnie. This is whatever Bob. And I woke up instantly. I know who Bob was. I know who was calling. It wasn't a crank call, and it was no heavy breathing. And he said, we just had an ab end on your XYZ program. And I said, okay. And I closed my eyes. I sat on the edge of the bed, and I said, tell me which card. And he said, it was instruction number 273. I said, read to me what the instruction is. And he told me. I said, okay. Give me a second. Go back three cards. Put a zero in. Start it again. It'll probably work now. I will wait up for exactly four minutes at the edge of the bed. If you don't call back, I'm going back to sleep and assuming everything is fine. I waited. He never called. I went in the next morning and everything was fine. So is that the kind of collaboration we're talking about where you just, you know that you're needed and you show up, whether it's in person or on the phone? Kevin, talk to me. (sighs) Yes. (laughs) I I say that, but... 
But yes, because we have hundreds of customers and thousands of systems that we manage, right? So at any given yeah. moment, 24-7, um, you want to make yourself accessible. Now, whether or not I can contribute to the actual resolution, I doubt it. There's a lot of other smarter people in my company who can, who can do that. Um, but uh, it goes into leadership, right? You want to be able to quote-unquote, share the pain with your team. Um, you may not be able to contribute much to the, to the issue resolution, but they want to know, hey, I'm in that foxhole with you, and, and I'm going to be there at 2 o'clock in the morning on the call, and, and, and <clears throat> you know, if I need to communicate to the customer with the issues and what, what has happened, um, we do that. Um, and it's a, it's a culture that we you know, deployed in, in our company. Um, make ourselves accessible. Uh, 24-7. So it's kind of a, you know... Uh, it's a fir- first it's responder. A, it's, a it's a first re- first yeah. responder for the nerds and the geeks, right? Is that what it is? That's right. Absolutely. That's it. And, and, and you know what? The collective group in the organization does it too as well, right? We have a specific process, and the next thing you know, within three minutes, 24-7, you'll have 10 people on a call, right? So it's a truly a team effort, right? And everybody pitches in. And I think because it is that... that Everybody shows up on a call, um, you know, builds together that bond within the organization. So it's not like, oh, well, I'm the only one. Why show up on the call? That's right. There you go. Roger Quinlan, what's your observation? Do you have any uh, midnight computer deck not working stories? Well, so I could tell you a couple of stories about my own COBOL programming experience, um, but, but I think I'll share those. I'll save those for another day. But, but <laughs> okay. I will say, having run a pretty substantial services organization for SAP for five years, I completely agree with the, uh, the thought that Kevin puts, uh, put forth earlier. In fact, I would say you know, companies like FIT that focus on success as their customers define it, not necessarily as they define it, are really the ones that do very well. And I, I, can, I can remember a 4th of July, uh, probably 02, 03, uh, where uh, one of our clients here in the Bay Area were trying to go live and, and they missed something in the process. And SAP was not involved in necessarily in the, pro, in, the, uh, uh, in, in the project, but didn't matter, right? They, they called us and me as the executive sponsor and said, I need some help. And I'm clearly just like, the smartest guy to fix that particular problem, but I know enough people and, and can make enough phone calls to find the right folks and get them on a call in, on short order so that we can find someone to fix the problem. And I think, I, I think those organizations that are, are capable of adapting like that and really making sure that their customers are successful as the customer defines it and does, will do whatever it takes, pull out whatever stops, pull people off of beaches if they're on vacation, uh, you know, get them on phone calls in the middle of the night or while they're on uh, you know, a European holiday. Um, it, those that, that go that extra mile are the, ones that going, are, are the ones that will continue to thrive. And those that don't make that extra effort um, are, are going to be marginalized or non-existent. And I think uh, I think there are a lot of companies out there that have realized that this is really the, the new paradigm that uh, 24-7 really does mean 24-7. Interesting, Roger. I'm thinking of back in the day, I've worked for other tech companies, and I'm remembering the follow the sun customer support policy. Do you remember when that was a popular mantra, follow the sun? I do. We used to, we used to call it that. We don't anymore, mm-hmm. although effectively our support does it that way anyhow. Um, because you're trying to get people connected in their native languages uh, to make it easier for them to communicate. Uh, and that effectively happens as they follow the sun kind of mentality. But I haven't heard anyone use that, that term of late. 
I haven't either. And I was thinking back in the day, it was, well, you know, they'd show you a map. The company would show the, the customers, the users a map and say, when this part of our organization in this particular geography has gone to sleep, it's sunset, then the baton will be passed for a communication collaboration and picking up the ball if an escalation is needed at the next station that is waking up somewhere in the next time zone and follow it around the world. So there's always somebody on call for you. But your point is well taken about being able to communicate in their language and their culture at any time of the day or night. I appreciate that. Uh, Kevin, any comments you want to make on that before we have a few minutes to move on to another topic? But Kevin, I want you to wrap this one up. Anything? Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, from, from a follow the sun perspective, we, we, we still employ that today and, and yet we still have 24 seven within the local region too, as well. Right. So, um, you know, from, from our perspective, it's, um, you know, uh, success never sleeps. Right. Um, kind of like what Gordon Gecko said, money never sleeps, but, uh, we like to say success never sleeps. Um, and, and that's kind of important too as well, right? So you always have to, uh, within reason and balance, of course, but, um, you always have to be prepared. I mean, if we chose this business and line of business to be in when you're doing mission critical support of, of, you know, global operations or global enterprises, um, you know what you sign up for, right? So. It's just Thank part of you. part of what we do. Thank you. And Roger Quinlan, I'm looking at your notes and here's something very provocative. You talked about your wife's honey farm and you say, Master Beekeeper, three leadership lessons I've learned from honeybees. You don't have to talk about COBOL programming back in the day, Roger, but can you Thank give you. us a couple of couple of notes here from the honeybees? Love to hear this one. Yeah, so uh, you know, honeybees act uh, they they function as a colony. So it's not, you know, people think of the queen bee as the, as the decision maker, and that's not the case. They, they effectively make decisions um, together, and it's not a single individual that tells the rest of the hive what to do. So I, I, think, I think there's lots of um, applicability to the business world and that it's not a single leader. We talked about uh, earlier, Kevin mentioned the term dictatorship, and I think honeybees operate the same way. They don't have a, a dictator. Okay, the queen lays all the eggs, but she's not the one making all the decisions. Um, they, they, they effectively decide when they need you know, more of this or more of that or do more of this or split or move or what have you. Uh, and I think the ever-evolving organization will make those strategic decisions collectively as well. Um, you know, I, loved, I love a lot of, of parallels between the, the world of honeybees uh, and the world of, um, of very high-tuned business organizations. Uh, and in fact, I, I think both are, are, um, are in need of, uh, of additional help to make sure that those that are not just the honeybees survive, but also those, those growing and uh, ever-evolving and thinking organizations um, continue to thrive as well. Thank you very much. Interesting. Kevin Diaz, have you ever looked at the ways and means of honeybees in terms of treating the individual with respect and ego is not the big deal? What do you think? Well, I, I can't, I don't know if I can comment necessarily on that. I, although, you know, our company in the uh, Research Triangle Park uh, partnered up with a couple of organizations to, uh, to install more than 50 hives in the uh, uh, Raleigh-Dorham area. Um, just because of the uh, collapsing of the colonies um, within the country. So we know it's critical, uh, for sure, and important for, for uh, our, our climate. But, uh, yeah, 
Don't know, don't know if I can comment necessarily on the complex structures of, of the honeybees. As, That's as well very as interesting. Could. You just mentioned Raleigh-Durham, uh, tri- the triangle, the research triangle. Your, uh, your company is there, FIT? Correct. Guess what? What's that? I'm moving there. <laughs> oh, well, we're well, glad to have you in the neighborhood, without question. Thank it's you. a wonderful place. I'm going to stop by and see you. I just bought a home in in Durham. I'm moving around Labor Day. I'm completely upending my New York life, so I won't see you in New York anymore, but I'll see you in the Durham area. And as soon as I heard you saying Durham and Research Triangle, I'm sitting here saying, wake up, he's talking about something important that you want to talk about. So, yes, everything's important, but that really caught my attention. So thank you. Very, very exciting. So you know what? It's time. Oh, in two minutes, it's time for us to go to our crystal ball prediction. Round, but let me just go back to to each of you, Kevin or Roger. Is there anything really critical to this conversation that we haven't covered? I know we've covered a lot of territory in the past forty five minutes or so, but is there anything on your mind, Kevin? Quickly, anything before we go to predictions in three minutes? No, I, I just think uh, for those listening out there, um, you know, it, it's important to obviously understand the goals that you want. Um, to achieve, um, but but again, we need you know uh, it is a team sport business, and, and you need your your people in your organization to work collaboratively. And and words that I learned from from Declan Fitzsimmons, a professor at INSEAD uh, University, and studied there a couple weeks with him, um, mentioned that it's not necessarily the uh, the conversations we're having, but more importantly, the conversations we're not having with our fellow workers and employees. And that's important to remember, because what are we afraid of talking about? What are we afraid of confronting? Um, what are the conversations we really need to have in order to, uh, to progress forward? And I think that's important. Okay. Kevin, do you think that there is a, a stigma still attached to nerds, geeks, IT people that we can't talk to him? He's got his head buried deep in some coding project. You know, he's not like the rest of us. Do you think there's any stigma or there's a standoffishness in terms of leaders who may be new to IT who haven't worked with the geeks before? Just a quick yes or no, because I want to get Roger's thoughts on this. Kevin? Um, no, I think it's in general. People are afraid, even, even very vocal uh, uh, individuals can be can be afraid to have those conversations too. Interesting, Roger Quinlan. Thoughts on having conversations with the geeks and the nerds? What do you think? Well, it, I, I'll, I'll hearken it back to uh, an experience my son had in high school. He's in fact just graduated from college, but it, his school had the reputation of being a big jock school. And I will tell you that that wasn't the case if you looked at it internally. The ones that were that were really revered on campus were the speech and debate kids or the robotics kids because they were doing something different with just as much passion, um, but also doing some fantastically fun things and creative and, and pushing the envelope of technology. Um, and, and I think there's a lot to be uh, learned from that environment, that, that the younger generation doesn't have the same fear that maybe, that maybe we do or the generation ahead of us do, uh, does about technology. They just jump right in and try something new. Uh, and I think, I think those of us that are in business today that are in senior leadership positions can learn something from that. I, I, I mentor a number of young people as they're in their careers, 
And uh, I like to make sure that, that I let them mentor me as much as I'm mentoring them because they, they can certainly help a lot. Um, and the one thing I do tell the, the younger folks is get involved in your community. Make sure that you're, mm-hmm. you're out. Go find a board that you're passionate about, a nonprofit board, and serve on those. Or um, you know, spend some time uh, out doing community outreach or doing volunteer work because I think it makes you a fabulously more interesting person, interesting things to learn and say. Uh, I think you can also take all of the things that we talked about here, all of the business things that we are, are good at running and, and the paradigms and how you manage teams and, and share that expertise in a nonprofit world to make the, uh, to make the world a better place. Thank you, Roger, and I'm still going to call on you for your prediction. Mr. Kevin Diaz, I can give you 90 seconds, a whole whopping 90 seconds. This is like a bonus round for your prediction. Take a look into the future. What will change about this conversation in terms of leadership in IT, in terms of looking back from what the customer defines as success into how your IT organization supports that success? 90 seconds, and I mean 90 seconds. Kevin Diaz, predictions, go. So I think what's going to happen is, you know, well, I don't, I don't know if I have a prediction, Bonnie, but more of a, a fear, if you will, that mm. because everybody's growing up now, um, lack of communication, texting, emojis, and so forth, that everything's abbreviated in these conversations. Uh, I want to make sure that, that we don't lose sight of, you know, what makes us human. Right. I mean, because we have artificial intelligence and analytics coming up, but but can it really take the place of of human thought and choice Um, or are we going to be led down a path of what a machine tells us we think we like or what a machine tells a consumer what they think they like? Um, You know, how do we how do we make sure we still have cognitive thinking within humans um, and not necessarily having it replaced by um, machine learning? you know, and, and, and importantly enough to, to be able to communicate uh, with each other in a very efficient, meaningful way. I, I think that's going to be important and critical. And, you know, I'll be interested to see where that goes in the next couple of years. Thank you very much. Appreciate you sharing that. And uh, let's turn to Roger Quinlan. Roger, I've got 90 seconds for you as well. Predictions, please. Well, it, clearly the world is, is changing dramatically. And I think... Uh, lots of industries are really seeing huge change when it comes to digital transformations. Uh, we need to be the leaders of that change, and we need to anticipate that our, what our customers are going to need before they ask for it. Things like predictive analytics becomes more important in that kind of a conversation. And uh, studies have shown that, that 20 in, in the next uh, 20, 25 years, that half the jobs in our workforce are going to be replaced. And what we're seeing now is that it's largely going to be with contract workers. So what does that mean for, for the new digital enterprise? How do they plan for that work? How do you plan for meaningful uh, job opportunities and meaningful uh, work to be able to attract the best and the brightest. And those organizations that are capable of adapting uh, and remain lean so they can remain profitable and remain agile so they can serve their customers, those are the organizations that will thrive in this new environment. Those, and, and, and they, will, they will be the ones that survive and grow uh, and those that don't are going to perish or fall by the wayside. The old ways of doing things clearly, um, clearly are not going to work in this new digital paradigm. And those who learn that the fastest and apply it with rigor are going to be the ones that are successful. 
Thank you. A lot of words of wisdom in there and a lot of insights from the master beekeeper. I appreciate that. Uh, That was a really great touch, Roger, bringing that to us. Kevin Diaz, Roger Quinlan, appreciate your insights, your savvy, sharing your knowledge and your passion about IT teams, distributed leadership, communications, IT success for customer success, working backwards from what the customer defines back into the IT organizations and not being afraid to have those conversations. Very important. Important. Going back to my opening quote from Ms. Violet Haberdasher, if you like nerds, raise your hand. If you don't, raise your standards. I think I think we proved that one to be absolutely true. So I want to do a shout out to our engineer extraordinaire, Kevin Gassman at World Talk Radio, the business channel. And I want to do a shout out to Ryan Treasure, the VP of Operations at World Talk Radio, who will be a guest on my live TV show tonight. And uh, just, just look it up, something to talk about TV, and you can watch it streaming online. We're going to talk about about what it means to be on the radio, on the web. Some interesting perspectives there. So thank you to Kevin. Thank you to Roger. And here's my shout-out, of course, to Alicia Rudolph, Cindy Morrell, Pamela Dunn, Rasheen Monahan. We have, uh, uh, who else do we have? Katie Thacker, Liz Hall, thank you all. And uh, Rajiv Bal, thank you for tweeting. Appreciate that. Here's the call to action. Finally, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be like Kevin Diaz. Yes. Be like Roger Quinlan. Yes. Go out and be a game-changer today. And that's an order. Have a great one. Talk to you tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel with Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join hosts Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.